Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, so we are continuing on with our theme, asking the question, what does God call the church family to look like? And we've been focusing specifically on helping to resolve conflict within the church and within interpersonal relationships. I remember reading Jay Adams' book, Competent to Counsel, a few years back, and it left one of those indelible marks on my soul regarding this idea of conflict. Now, for those of you who don't know, Jay Adams pastored in the church uh, during the last generation, and the trend at that time when it came to counseling was kind of the blame it on the brain approach. In other words, much of the church had kind of bought into this Freudian idea regarding mental illness that most of our problems when it comes to mental health are allogenic, meaning other engendered, rather than autogenic, uh, meaning self-engendered. Um, therefore, just as we would give sympathy to a person who is physically sick, so also we need to recognize uh, mentally sick people. Now, uh, I don't want to overstate or understate his case. I believe that there are real mental disorders in the in. In, in human beings, just like there are real physical disorders. But the problem is that there's an overemphasis oftentimes on mental sickness um, that is turned into, um, turn people away from sin being the main problem to a medical issue being the main problem. And the effect of this is that it removes all personal responsibility because if problems come from outside of me, then I'm no longer the one to blame. So how would this view affect the way that you approach race, relational conflicts? Uh, you know, first of all, it calls us to humility. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. The, we're often taught, the, the modern world teaches us that all, all of my problems come from outside of me. Oppressive systems and whatnot, oppressive structures that cause me to do what I do and to think what I think and, and to react the way that I react. As Christians, it's really helpful for us to recognize this is not a new problem in the modern world. This has been the human condition ever since the fall. Uh, you read Genesis 3, after, the, after Adam and Eve sinned by eating the fruit from the tree that God told them not to eat. And when God confronts them about this, uh, what have you done? The woman who you gave. <laughs> yeah. The woman you gave me. The woman you gave me. <laughs> so it's not only this, this woman who's outside of himself, it's God, you're at fault for, for putting the, this garden was fine when it had one occupant. <laughs> and now you've ruined it by the, the, the whole Adam's sin manifests itself in finding fault outside of himself. Yeah. And then Eve did the same thing. And then Eve did exactly the same thing. The serpent beguiled me and I ate. The, the first step, recognizing and, and healing conflict to say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Uh, I'm, I'm part of the problem here. In, in humility, own my part of it. I think it's helpful to say that sometimes you can look at circumstances and situations and upbringings and say that helps us understand maybe the mm -hmm. reason why people do what they do mm -hmm. yeah. and respond like they do. But that isn't the cause. Yeah. 
the cause comes from within. I mean, James talks about in James chapter one, he says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Mm -hmm. And he's saying that those come from within. Yeah. And then later on in the book, he, he will he will say, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's kind of fun to blame it on other things. It's kind of fun to say, well, this is just my disposition. This is just my personality. This is how mm-hmm. I was raised. These are my circumstances. This is because of how I was taught. Um, but all of those basically boil down to just awful excuses. Mm-hmm. Really what the reality is, is we sin in conflict with other people because our own hearts wanted to, to follow that, mm-hmm. wanted mm-hmm. to do that. And um, yeah. at the end of the day, those excuses aren't going to cure the problem. Well, we're broken by, by sin, by our own sin, but we're also broken by sin uh, that has come into the world. We're fractured people. And sometimes it does have a health component. People, you've all of a sudden you find that they used to be loving and gentle and kind and humble, and now they're bitter and angry and everything. And you wonder what what happened. And sometimes it it has to be addressed physically. You know, there's some physical changes that they may have an infection, they may have something that's going on. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they refer, used to refer to that as the hardening of the arteries or something. You know, there's things that are happening there. We should never be unaware of both sides of that yeah. I- issue. You know. Is this person getting adequate sleep? Is this get person? Does this have adequate health? You know, some people have these sugar highs and sugar lows, and yeah. you know, there's uh, you know, there's things that affect them during different times of the month, and all these things are playing into it. But ultimately, we're sinners, and yeah. we need to address that right. part of the equation. Right. I was listening to uh, a talk. I think it was actually by Mary Beaky, Joel Beaky's uh, wife, here on on people who are depressed and people who are lonely. And she just said, you know what? We need to address both the body and the soul here. And she she went to the scripture where when Elijah had ran from Jezebel and he was discouraged and he sat down, what God did first was he first took care of him by giving him ravens who were feeding him food. And then he addressed his soul. So I think you're right, Jonathan. I think there is this dualistic approach where we do need it. We can't be blind to, you know, the needs of the body, whether they be, you know, some sort of physical problem or mental issue that's going on. I think what Jay Adams was reacting to in his day was mm-hmm. that it was a 100% blame it on the brain approach right, or exactly. a 100% yeah. outside of me approach. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's wrong to go to kind of either extreme where we say, no, it's right. totally outside of ourselves or there's nothing in our body that has... Yeah. Yeah, the outside of ourselves, you know, somebody's depressed, what do you do? You give them some medication and uh, Prozac or whatever. And and that can oftentimes become a downward spiral, uh, you know, where the, where they'll inflict harm upon themselves. Yeah. Well, the very scripture you quoted from James 4. So he asks the question, what causes quarrels? What causes fights? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Mm-hmm. And this, this scripture in particular has been very helpful, especially when I've been counseling you know, married couples, when you know, there's a quarrel, there's a fight that's happening, and just kind of laying it on the table right away. Hey, the reason why this quarrel is happening right now is because there's passions that are at war within you. And the reason why that's such a helpful diagnosis to begin with is because that means that the path back towards reconciliation is confession of sin. There's not some other you know strategy that we can use to bring these parties back together. There has to be confession, there has to be repentance, and there has to be reconciliation. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Philippians, Paul writes, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You begin to, to look at in the relational world and people dealing, especially husbands, wife, parents, and children, whatever it might be, where you're constantly day in and day out living with one another, that gives a lot of opportunity for conflict. Mm-hmm where your own selfishness or desires come forward and, and rub against somebody and cause an issue, to step back in humility and say, was that was I actually considering someone above myself or mm-hmm. was that just selfish ambition? Was that just mm-hmm. me wanting my own needs fulfilled or my own desires met? Mm-hmm. So I think you need to step back and begin to honestly assess the situation and say, well, what caused that conflict? How much of that am I to blame? And if we're honest, in every conflict, there's going to be enough that we mm-hmm. can take ownership of mm-hmm. to, to repent of and to show humility and ask for forgiveness on right. it. You not, might not be the 100% cause of the conflict, yeah. but you've got a healthy percentage that you can own and, and repent of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Most of us are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13 as this great passage on love, but in that passage, uh, there are eight things that love does and eight things that love does not do. And we're told love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so there, there's eight things that love does, eight things that love doesn't do. And those are, are really helpful to bring into that um, understanding of the conflict that's taking place. So those are some, man, those are some great principles, especially that you were laying out, Russ. And, and I think what's difficult about that self-assessment where we say, okay, what have I, what have I contributed to this argument that's the, the very thing I think our listeners have to realize, and I have to realize with my own heart, that's the most difficult question, because that means, where am I to blame here? And that immediately knocks down human pride. But, but brothers and sisters, if you're listening, that's what the gospel of, of Jesus Christ has done. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you let the gospel, of, if you think about the gospel of Christ afresh, which we should be doing every day, listen, you were so bad that God had to put on flesh and come down and be crucified for you. That's, I mean, there's no pulling punches here. Even on your best day, all of your righteousness. I mean, if, even if God were to take away all your sins and not consider your sins in the judgment of God, if he only looked at your righteous deeds, your righteous deeds would be enough to condemn you. And so, fine, you're righteous in this conflict. Where did your righteousness fall short and where can you be reproved for it? Uh-huh. And as you're becoming self-aware, you're asking yourself why you're feeling the feelings that that you have. What do you feel like doing? And then you might want to ask yourself, what can I do instead? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What can I do instead to bring glory to God? It's pretty easy to approach a situation as always, there's a winner, there's a loser. When that mentality comes into relational difficulties, um, especially in the home, I guess it can be anywhere, where you, you need to try to assess blame on one person to absolve the other, it's going to be difficult to have healthy reconciliation. Yeah. It's pretty rare in a conflict for one member to be 100% at fault and the other one to share no blame in, in the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the question we need to ask in these conflicts <laughs> is, what does success look like? Yeah. Does yeah. success look like me winning this argument and me proving you wrong? Or does success look like us coming together and worshiping Christ 
in, in the same place at the same time. What is success yeah. at the end of the day? Yeah, and, and the human reality is that uh, well, you, you, can, you can win, and uh, if you insist on winning all of the time, you're going to be, you, 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 maybe you'll have a nice little trophy all by yourself uh, because you're going to end up mighty lonely. Uh, that's, a, that's a corrosive uh, on the family. It's a corrosive on Christian fellowship. God deliver us from the need to win. Well, as Russ was pointing out, you know, in the conflict, it's usually not that one person is 100% wrong. Part of winning is admitting your 20% or your 30% fault in this. And in fact, by admitting those things up front, uh, it gives the other person an opportunity to admit where they've aired as well. Because you're lowering your fig leaf. You're saying, I'm a sinner. And you're helping them to do the same. Well, you've been listening to The Gospel for Life. We thank you for listening today. Uh, We are going to continue this conversation tomorrow. You can catch us at ReformationVoice.com. We'll see you next time.